Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the little ones. Father, we thank you for the youth. Lord, they're our future. Lord, we, we just thank you that we can sow into their lives and see fruit come forth. Father, we just thank you for tonight. Also, as we get into the word tonight, we thank you that that word that gets into us, we pray that we can do a good job of getting it into our children. And Father, it is such that uh, as parents, we're to lead them in the word and we're to be their primary teachers. Church is their secondary. And so, Father, we just thank you that the word gets into us. Father, we pray tonight that you give clarity of mind and articulation of speech, boldness of spirit. Father, to preach, to teach, to impart uh, just the truths of your word. And Father, we pray tonight also that people would have just ears to hear, hearts to receive, Father. A willingness to be a doer of your word. And Father, not just to hear only. So we just commit that to you tonight. We thank you for it. We ask your power uh, to impart tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, it's really important that we understand uh, just, you know, those children, sometimes I, I just can't hardly get off of it. You know, when your kids leave and you become an empty nester, you get a lot more sensitive about kids. It's really, it's really important that we just really pour ourselves into them at an early age. Well, tonight, I'm going to be quoting several times out of my 26 translations because there's some really neat things I want to talk about concerning boundaries. And tonight I'm going to talk about the boundaries, excuse me, the boundaries of blessings. And I'm going to turn to, uh, to start out with Acts 17, 26, and 27. I'm going to read it out of the uh, 26 translations, and we'll hit several different translations. But Acts, let me say it again, Acts 17, 26, and 27, and the, and the title tonight is The Boundaries of Blessings. Turn to your name and say, there are boundaries for our lives. And these, aren't to, these boundaries aren't uh, to keep something from us, but they bring something to us. You know, a child, when you give them... How many of you know a healthy child has boundaries? The most unhappy children that you'll ever find are the ones whose parents never gave them any boundaries. And they, they are out of control. They don't know why they're so unhappy. It's because there's not been moral boundaries, sometimes even physical boundaries and, and just behavioral boundaries uh, that the parents have not set up for them. But how many of you know our God is a perfect father? Amen. And he gives us boundaries. Thank God. Because otherwise, how far do you go and not stop? I mean, how, how much is enough and how far do we go and how much do I have to expand? There's a boundary. There is a right amount. Can I get an amen? You know, one, one person was given one talent, another one was given three talents, and another man was given five talents. How many of you know the number of those talents were actually a form of boundaries? So when we understand that, we understand that God in his great wisdom does provide for us good, healthy, and sound boundaries. You know, if, as you look... And while you're turning there, I just want to say boundaries. You know, those property. What would you think if your neighbor just started building on your property? That neighbor might get in trouble with you in the law, right? What about marriage boundaries? And somebody just starts putting their hands all over your wife. How many would say that that person get in trouble because they don't understand boundaries? And how many would say, you know, the person who drives down this street that's 20 miles an hour and he's going 70 miles an hour? How many you know he might get into some trouble? hurt himself and somebody else because he doesn't understand boundaries. And, and if that's true for adults, how much more do children need to be accustomed to, prepared, and uh, really gotten prepared for the real adult world by providing for them boundaries? It's so important. Boundaries are, bl- are blessings. But look what it says in Acts 17. And we're talking about, we're going to talk about some spiritual boundaries. We're going to talk about some physical boundaries. We're going to talk about some boundaries that God has set up. Uh, even there's boundaries in the church, there's boundaries in our lives, there's boundaries in our ministries. As you study this, it's a very interesting subject. So here we go. Uh, we're over there in Proverbs, excuse me, uh, Acts 17. And, and I am on the wrong page number. Hold on. I'm in the wrong book even. I thought I opened it and I just took for granted it was the right one. But pro- okay, we're in Acts 17 and 26, it says, And hath made us one blood and all nations of men. It's talking about how God has done this and that he's made us all one uh, person. We're not, you know, I'm just going to say this, we're not African Americans, we're not 
uh, you know, I'm Norwegian. We're not Norwegian Americans. If you're Christians, the Bible says he has made us one ethnos. And there is no longer any dividing nationalities. He even says that, you know, in, spiritually speaking, there's really no difference between men and women. That's only domestically and on this earth and, and in this order that we have in the here and now. But I like what he says, and he hath made of one blood all nations, and hath determined the times before appointed. Having determined the allotted periods, or having determined their appointed seasons, marking out and fitting opportunities, definitely appointing the pre-established periods. He fixed the epochs of their history, fixing a time for their rise and fall. And he has given to each the cycles uh, that they were to pass through. After the first fixing of the dates of the rise and fall of nations, and he has appointed seasons by his command. And the bounds of their habitations, and it says the boundaries of their abodes, the territorial boundaries, and the boundaries that they live in. God has preordained nations, individuals, I would say even churches, uh, to have certain boundaries, that there's going to be a certain time that you're going to live and there's going to be a certain time and a certain place where you're supposed to have influence and carry out the calling on your life from God. Can I get an amen? So there are preordained things. I'm not into determinism, but I am into destinationism. And God doesn't determine because with our free will, we can avert that. But he has determined it in that it is his will and he wants us to do it, but he won't force us to do it. Can I get an amen? How many of you know God wanted Pharaoh to repent? But Pharaoh hardened his heart by not obeying the word that was preached to him. So there are boundaries. Now I want to turn to another scripture. I want to go over to the book of Jude. So go with me to Jude 1. And we all know this scripture pretty well. And as I studied this, I kind of feel like I got a little better understanding. It says, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. And we, we know that, uh, you know, the next part of that verse is praying in the Holy Ghost. We build up our faith by praying in the Holy Spirit, by praying in tongues. Your faith gets down. Faith doesn't come by praying in tongues. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen? Amen. But you get built up on the, in man it, on the inward man because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, that he that speaks in own tongue edifies or builds up himself. Building up yourselves in your most holy faith. You've got to have a strong spirit that, to operate in faith. And you build up the spirit versus your flesh and your mind trying to dominate. You build up your spirit so it dominates. Because with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Not with your body, not with your mind. You don't believe with your mind. You don't believe with your body. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And so it's the heart or the spirit man that has to be built up because he's battling with a flesh and an unrenewed mind. Can I get an amen? And he has to emerge the dominant force in our life. And therefore, we know that our spirit man, when he's born again, operates in faith when it's fed the word. But the mind operates in fear. The flesh operates in lazy selfishness and, and self-gratification. But the spirit man wants to live the life of faith. And if it's fed, your spirit will dominate and will lead you into a life of faith. Can I get an amen? So we build up ourselves our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now look at this, and this verse 21 is the one that I find so interesting, keeping yourselves in the love of God. And for a long time, I always thought, well, that's, that's just keeping us walking in the love walk. And I begin to study it out, I begin to look into the original language, and I found out that, that that's true, but here's something that really is the overshadowing meaning of this verse. And I'm going to read it out of another translation. It says, and stay always within the boundaries where the love of God can reach and bless you. Wow. Now, we talked about boundaries in Acts 17, 26 and 27. It says that the time frame in which we're going to live on this earth was preordained. The place where we're supposed to live out our life and our ministry on this earth is preordained. Did you know that Paul even talks about that he wouldn't go beyond his sphere in Acts and in, in, in 2 Corinthians? I, we'll read that later in the, in the sermon. But there is a sphere that Paul said, I dare not go beyond my sphere or my boundaries that I'm called to in ministry. Did you know there were major and minor prophets? And major and minor meant that some were only called to a small locale. Some were called to speak and their message was for the nation. Can I get an amen? 
Those are spheres of ministry. Those are boundaries in ministry. Just like boundaries as to when we're going to live this life and in what area we're supposed to live this life. You know, I live in Oskaloosa and I go to Des Moines, I go to Kansas City, I go to Chicago, I go to Tulsa, but my main sphere is not in any one of those cities except the Oskaloosa and this surrounding area. Can I get an amen? And there could be a day where a person could go from pastoring a local church to a greater sphere that God has called them to, like from a minor prophet to a major prophet or something like that. And that's a whole other subject which we won't go into. But the fact of the matter is God has preordained when you would live and where you would live and where your ministry parameters would exist. And when you stay within that realm or those boundaries, God's blessing can come upon your life. Let me read it again. It says in Jude 1 and 21, It says, stay always within the boundaries where the love of God can reach and bless you. I like that. I want to be in my right town. I want to be in my right nation, my right state, my right town, my right address as a house, my right church with my family and with my company of believers that God has set every member into the body as it pleases him that I'm called to run with and God has set me into this church and, you know, I wanted to go when I, you know, God told us to move home and there'd be a person, Dan Barry, some of you might know Danny pastors a big church in Des Moines, that Dan Barry would tell us about a church that had come open and that that would be the church where I was supposed to go. God spoke that to me in my heart. And sure enough, it all just happened and I walked it out. And he says, there's a guy, Tom, uh, Tom, what's Tom Kirkman, would be leaving this church and it was going to come open. And he says, you ought to try out there and you ought to check into that. And I knew immediately it was God because God told me he was going to tell me that. And he did. And we didn't plan it. <laughs> it just happened. How many of you like that when that happens? I, I love when the Holy Spirit does things like that. And so anyway, he told, I knew we were supposed to go here. But then this church came up. How many of you know there's always an opportunity to hatch an Ishmael and miss your, you know, Isaac. And so up comes this opportunity in Waukee. Ooh, I like Des Moines. Ooh, bigger building, more people, better praise and worship, more finances, more ability to reach out, more, more things we can do. You know, you, you get to think, and how many of you know you're never smarter than God? How many of you know God knows what's going to happen? Well, we wanted to go there, and of course we went there and preached and got voted unanimous. Just We got voted unanimous here, and, and I don't even believe in voting in pastors. I don't know how that all happened, but anyway. And we came and said, I want to go to the one in Des Moines. And Julie and I, we were both here, and we, we came. And This is before the church looked as nice as it does now. <laughs> and we saw it, and we go, is that? Oh, no, that's it. Oh, gosh, that's it. How long will the sentence be? You know, it's like, oh no. It's like, we're thinking, we don't want to go there. And let's go to Des Moines. Let's go to Waukee. That's not better. And we, and we, we talked about it, how much you know, it might be better. And then we both looked at each other and said, where do, you, where do you think we're supposed to go? And we both said at the same time, Oskaloosa. We knew that God had put us in that location. Don't fight where God is sending you. Amen? Amen. Jonah tried that. Didn't work very good. And, uh, it wasn't very many months after that. And that church absolutely blew up. They had World War III. Two pastors that went there for short periods of time says, it was horrible. This is full of strife. An elder board that tried to control every single thing. And they and them liked each other. And all this bad stuff happened. And that church blew apart. Does not exist today does not exist today. I'm so glad I just obeyed God. Amen. Don't look to the outward, but look to the inward, what the Holy Spirit is saying. I'm so glad I stayed within the boundary that God, and you know, we came to the church, and, and praise God, one lightning bolt and $300,000 later, the, bad, the, the cosmetics got fixed. Somebody say amen. Now everybody tells us how beautiful our church is, and, and I'll let them be the judge of that, but... You know, I really, I am so thankful that I have obeyed God throughout the years. I've had people come and recruit me to, you know, be associate at a church, you know, it's probably eight times bigger than this, take over church and pastor, it's probably three times bigger and, and all these things. And, and nope, not interested, 
just not interested. Well, it'd be, you know, bigger salary and all this. And no, nope, not interested. You know, and, I, and I just, I've just come to realize we need to stay within the boundaries where God's blessing can reach us. Somebody say amen. Now, I'm going to show you why that is, one of the reasons why that is. I'm just going to keep my big, fat old 26 translations right there for now. But uh, turn with me to Jonah. I find this very interesting, what it says about the life of... Jonah is an incredibly interesting case study in just how God works and what things really spiritually are like when you're in ministry or you have a place where God wants you to be. But I look at that, and it starts out, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amita, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. It's like, Arise, go to Oskaloosa. That great city, and cry against it for their wicked. Now, I'm not saying that wickedness is great here, but, but we're just God, will tell you, God can tell you where to go. <laughs> and some people are going to tell them to go to hell on Judgment Day. But God can tell you where to go. And rise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Oh, so Tarshish... Living in Tarshish is like where the presence of the Lord is. I mean, Nineveh, excuse me. Fleeing from Nineveh to Tarshish is apparently equated with fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Did you know where the presence of the Lord is for your life? Where he's called you to. Not someplace else. I've seen people say, I moved down here to Tulsa Everything's going wrong. I, I just, I don't feel the presence of God anymore. That's right, because you weren't supposed to. I've seen people that were supposed to move to Tulsa and go, go to Bible school or something, and they stayed home, and they just felt empty and dry and said, I don't feel the presence of the Lord anymore. How many of you know, when you get in the boundaries that God has for you, he can continue to pour out his blessings and his love on you? There are boundaries now, let's keep reading that. And, but Jonah rose up to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. I, I didn't know you could flee from the presence of the Lord. I thought the presence of the Lord was omnipresent. Well, we're not talking about the omnipresence of the Lord. We're talking about the manifested presence of the Lord for your life. How many of you know there's a difference between the omnipresence and the manifested presence? The manifested presence is when you get over in Chronicles and it says, when the singers were all in one accord, dressed in white and singing, and, and then all of a sudden it says the glory cloud came in like a mist and all those who were standing there fell to the ground because of the presence of the Lord. Yeah. And it says that because it said that the, the mountains fled like rams in, in warfare when the presence of the Lord came. See, there is a omnipresence, but there is a presence for your life that you need to stay within that parameter of and don't get outside of it. But Jonah rose up to flee from, unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and therefore he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Wow. So he went out from the presence of the Lord. That's not a good thing. Can I get an amen? Turn to me to Genesis 13, 12 through 14. Stay within your boundaries that God's called you to. Genesis 13. We can see that numerous people did these silly things. Genesis 13, verses 12. And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Woo! And then it says, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot had separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. Promised land. How many of you know we all have a type of promised land in this life? Canaan land, the land that flows with milk and honey. 
But then we also have a presented to us a Sodom. And Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom, didn't he? Yeah. Abraham went where he was supposed to, and he flourished. And had, Abraham had Isaac and Jacob, and, and you know the patriarchs came forth from that family, and the lineage of Jesus came forth from that family. I would say Abraham fulfilled everything that God had for him, and he had the children as the stars of many nations. I'd say the Christians in the world throughout history are like the stars of many nations. You can't count them. And he had these wonderful children, and, and Joseph, and, and, and you have all these things, and Joseph came out of his lineage and saved the family, and wonderful things, and God's, God's how can I say this, God, the testimony of God was through their lives. But how many of you know old uh, Lot, who pitched his tent? Lot got out of his boundaries. And how did his family turn out? Oh yeah, let's, how did his family turn out? Let, let's, let's do some inventory. Well, first of all, his wife... Uh, decided to look back. She loved Sodom so much, she couldn't help but look back, and she turned into a pillar of salt, right? Didn't that happen to Lot's wife? The son-in-laws that were going to be married or going to be married, I can't remember, I think they were son-in-laws, they they acted like he was a crazy man when he said, the angels have come, they've told us that this place is going to be destroyed, God's going to judge us, we need to get out, and they go, what are you talking about? When did you get religious? Come on, you're like, the, you're like the judge in this town. If this town's all screwed up, maybe it's because of you, Dad. Huh? You're the judge here. And he was. They wouldn't, even, they, wouldn't even, they wouldn't even honor him enough to pay attention to his They wouldn't even believe him, his kids. His two daughters came out, but they couldn't get the Sodom out of the two daughters, and they molested him and produced a nation, a nation of infidels. Jew haters, we won't even go there. So he had the ultimate dysfunctional, messed up, go to hell family. Wow. Because he got out of his boundaries and went where he wasn't supposed to go. Can I get an amen? We don't just get to go any place we want to in this life. I'm free to go wherever I want. Really? Go right ahead. See what happens. You know, Brother Hagin knew a guy who, he uh, was working a job, and he's going to his church, and he says, Brother Hagin, he says, I feel like I'm supposed to leave. He said, this job has come up over in this other city. And, you know, and and y'all know when when they're really submitted to God or not, because they inform you, they don't ask you. (laughs) Oh, I'm moving, oh, but by the way, I want you to pray about it, and and I want you to know about it. And oh, Yeah, you, you're going to do whatever you want to do. That's clear because you're informing me. You're not asking me. What do you come trying to get my counsel for then? And he said, but here's the thing. He says, brother, you better, you better be sure it's God. Brother Hagen knew it wasn't. He says, you better be sure it's God. You better be sure there's a good full gospel church over there. You're going to move your, fam- your wife and your kids over there. You better be sure you've got a good place to take them to church and keep them spiritually solid. He says, well, I'll find one, I'll find one. Well, Brother Reagan tried to dissuade him against it, but he was already committed to it in his mind. He went there, and there wasn't any good full gospel church. There was some dead old churches where there's no life. And it's one thing if you've always been spiritually dead, and you're already carnal, you go to those churches. But if you've once been enlightened and tasted the heavenly things of God, as it says in Hebrews 6, 6, and you already know God, and you've been, uh, you know, partakers of of the word of God. In other words, you're born again, you're spirit-filled, you're walking with God. You can't just go do that. Right. Sorry. You know better. See, the old reprobate that does not know any better, the old deadbeat that's been in his deadbeat church with his deadbeat pastor and deadbeat, uh, you know, spiritual world that he's living in, until he gets enlightened, he's not accountable for the same things that somebody who's born again, spirit-filled, and knows God is going to be held accountable for. Can I get an Amen. So this guy moves over to this town, and all of his kids get messed up. They're not in church. They're trying to drive a you know, long ways to another church. And that's good. If it's God, you can do it, and there'll be anointing on it. And he tried to go, and, 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 but, but the real problem is he was never supposed to go there. Well, all of his kids ended up turning into complete infidels, total apostates. He divorced his wife. He had an affair. He lost everything. He lost his job and came back broke without a wife and without kids, and nobody was saved in his family anymore. And he came back a total mess. And Brother Hagen tried to tell him not to leave. 
Because you can't go back to your old lifestyle. You can't go back to your old level. You can't go to a place that's digressing instead of progressing with God. Can I get an amen? So we can see that like Lot, like Jonah, there are people who want to go their own way where they want to go, when they want to go, and they want to do their own thing instead of saying, Lord. Is it, and you know, James tells us, don't say, I'm going to go here or there tomorrow, but say, if it's the Lord's will, I will go here or there tomorrow, because him that knows good and, and does it not, to him it is sin. How many of those are, there are sins of omission as well as commission. If you omit to do what God says and stay in place or not go to the place or whatever, you don't say tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city. James makes this very clear. He says, if the Lord wills it, we'll go to that city. If the Lord wills it, we'll go to that church. If the Lord wills it, we'll put our kids in that school. If the Lord wills it, we'll make this move or we'll do these these things. If the Lord wills it, because, see, if he's the Lord over our life, we have to consult with him. See, Jonah says, well, I don't want to go preach there, so I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go to a different place. And Lot, you know, he says, I'm not going to go to some place where I can serve God. I'm going to go to Sodom and Gomorrah because that's a place where there's a lot of wealth and it's a it's well-watered plain and it, and it looks like a place where I could go get rich. Wow. See, and what happens many times is we get offended by God. It's offensive to us. And we want to go, well, we all know the story about our church. We had a couple who sat right where Scott sat. We had Alfonso Vargas, was the evangelist that came that night. They had been praying about leaving and going and had never told me anything about it. I didn't know a thing about it. I just knew that they were very discontented. And they would come to me and they were depressed and they would cry and they'd say, well, what's wrong, what's going on? And I knew what it was, and, and it's really nobody else's business that I would ever share that. And the, the evangelist came up to him and stood there and said, don't leave this church. Don't leave this church. Right there where Jeremy, right about in one of those two rows, I don't know if it's Scott's row or Jeremy's row. And he came and he says, don't leave this church. Don't leave this church. Don't leave this church. And he kept doing it. I thought, gee, guy, I think they get it. Will you shut up? It's like, can't you? Now she's bawling her head off. I thought it was because she was embarrassed. It was because they were so convicted. Behind my back when we went on vacation. They didn't tell us anything. They just packed up. They left. They moved to Texas. Where they were brutally murdered by some gangbangers who got them, pulled a gun on them in their car, threw them in a trunk, drove around, went to a remote place on an army base, opened up the trunk, shot him in the head, killed him, shot her jaw off of her head. These are the gory, ugly details of not following God and not obeying God. She was still alive with her dead husband in her lap and her jaw laying on on her lap. The guy testified, told about this. He slammed the trunk, set the car on fire, and she got to die by being burned to death with her dead husband. How many of you know not following God is not a good idea? Especially when you've been warned and told, don't do that. Don't do that! You see, Ecclesiastes, we talked about this last week, many times something about God, the pastor, the church, other people, maybe just life in general, offends them out of God's will for their life. Look at this. I'm going to read. Let's go over to Ecclesiastes. And we're going to read. And I, last week we talked about getting bitter or getting better. How many of you know with God, you better learn to get better and not get bitter with him? Yes. Let me tell you something. It's, it's a dangerous thing to get bitter with God and say, I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do anymore. It's a very dangerous thing. But look what it says. It says, if the spirit of a ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. Sometimes because of whatever reason, like maybe there's somebody in your, in your job, your boss rises up and has to correct you or say something strong, and you get offended and you leave. I know people have done that, and they couldn't find a job for years. They couldn't find a job for years and they felt like there were curses. I can't get a job. That, and I want to tell them, that's because you need to go back and make that right. You don't ever do anything out of offense. You don't ever leave any place out of offense. Amen. That's wrong. 
And it's exactly what offense means. Offense means a bait that's dangled in front of your face and you take it. It comes from the Greek word escandalon. It's where we get the word scandal. And it means a the bait inside of a trap that you're a sucker and you take it and, de- and the devil destroys your life with it. Can I get an amen? amen? Don't be that sucker. Don't be offended and let, take Satan's trick to offend you out of the boundary of blessing. Say the boundary of blessing. Building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost and keeping yourself in the boundaries where God's love and blessings can come to you i like that verse i like praying in tongues because it's going to keep me in the boundaries where i'm supposed to stay did you know that the average worker today only stays 4.4 years at their job and they say among the millennials it's half that the longest anybody stays at a job anymore on an average now there's people here this because I think we're way above the average and way better than the average here. We, most of us have been at something for a long time. But the average today is getting down to 4.4 years and they can't stand it any longer and they got to go. The average pastor only stays now only 3.6 years per church. Either they're mad at him or he's mad at them and they can't stand each other anymore and he's leaving. Because there's war and trouble in River City at the church. And they can only stay about three and a half, three and a half years nowadays. Because people can't get along because they're easily offended. And it's political correctness. And it says many will be offended and many will depart from the faith. And the love of many will grow cold. And many will be offended and they will betray one another. I taught about this all last week. This was all in last week's sermon. They have a church pastor only stays three and a half years. The average new startup in ministry only lasts five years. The people that are starting in ministry today will only last for five years on the average, and they'll quit. The average marriage today only lasts eight years. Yeah, eight years, 8.1. Only lasts 8.1 years. How many of you know everybody's getting offended out of their boundaries where they're supposed to be? You know, you, you, my, my, sister, my sister was very successful in her work. And, she, and one time I asked her, go, how did you climb the ladder how, you know, to where you're making the kind of money you are? And then she says, I just outlasted all the rest of them. <laughs> she says, I'm not necessarily any smarter, any better. I just outlasted them. And I got their job when they left. You know, today it's not IQ, it's EQ. Emotional quotient. In other words, how much can you stand? How long can you bear it? And how long will you stay diligent? How many know the Bible says, the diligent shall bear rule? Stick with it. Stay put. Keep on keeping on. Don't go running off with some devil carrot pulling you over to some place where you're going to get your brains blown out or something. Somebody say amen. See, the children of Israel, Numbers 13 and 14 and 45, you can see that the children of Israel were told, go and take the land, for the Lord has given it to you. They sent out the 12 spies. The 10 came back and said, we're not able to... There's, there's some big old monstrous giants and walls, and there's no way. And the more they talked about the more they became a grasshopper in their own eyes, the more they became a grasshopper in their enemy's eyes, and they didn't want... But Caleb and Joshua says, we're, we're more than well able. Why? Because God said so. And the children of Israel said, we're not going up. And they murmured and they talked against God. And they said, you brought us out here to die. God says, oh, I did. Okay, according to your words then, if that's what you want, keep saying it. You got it, baby. And it says, you're going to perish in the wilderness. You're going to wander out here for 40 years and then you're going to perish in the wilderness. But the second generation, the Joshua generation, Joshua and Caleb, and the next generation, everyone who's 20 years and younger, you're going to go in. And then when they heard that, you know what they did? Now that God says you're not going to get to, they said, oh, well, now we're going to. You know, some people will only do the opposite of what God's trying to tell them. God says, go up and take it. They said, no, we can't. God says, you're going to die in this wilderness. Now, and you're not going to take it at all. You're going to die in the wilderness. Now, no, now we're going to go. Did you, have you ever read that over there in Numbers 14? In, in, in the margin of my Bible, it says the presumption of Israel. They presumed on God. And they tried to go up and they got slaughtered and they came running back. You better stay when God says stay and you better go when God says go. Can I get an amen? amen. 
See, he said to go the first time they wouldn't, and then uh, he, he said to stay after he, he pronounced that they would be 40 years in the wilderness, and they stayed. I mean, and they tried to go up then. But you look, at, you look over there in Numbers, and you look at that Numbers 14. No, I'm sorry, wrong verse. Numbers 32, 13. It really gives you some insight. It says, And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them to wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. God will allow you to begin to wander if you leave where you're supposed to be. And I know people like that. I know people in ministry like that. They left, and to this day, they don't know. They, they can't find God's will to save their soul. They cannot find God's will for their life to save their soul. It's a frightening thing. But I'd rather just stay within the boundaries where God's blessings keep getting showered down on me. Let's go over to, to Jude, and let's look at some of the, the verses there. Jude 1 talks about these type of people that wander. And they won't stay put or they won't get set into where God has. And it's really important that we, we do that. And some people, uh, you know, they, they, their whole life has gone from one church to another, one job to another, one spouse to another. And it, and it is utterly destructive. It is utterly uh, destroys their life. And it's so sad. It, it's such a sorrowful thing to see. But Jude 1 talks about these. Of course, there's only one chapter in Jude, so... When I say Jude 1, I'm talking like Donald Trump, Jude 1. First chapter of Jude, but there's only one chapter. I'm going to say the chapter of Jude. All right, maybe that's how I should say it. Verse 12, it says, These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Everybody say, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit... Withered, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Wow. Died spiritually, then died again spiritually. Paul says, when the, when the law came, I died. We know that was spiritually. Then some people get born again, and then they turn away from God, and they die twice dead. But I want you to notice, it says, carried about with wind. Did you know the Bible talks about that in Ephesians 4? Be no more babes tossed to and fro with winds of doctrine. Don't go to and fro. Don't go a-wandering. Don't be carried about of winds. Don't be tossed to and fro with winds of doctrine because that'll get you out of your boundaries. Can I get an amen? amen? Raging waves of the sea foaming of their own shameful or shame and wandering. There's that word wandering. Say wandering. Wandering stars to whom reserved the blackness and darkness forever. Wanders don't have a good future. The children of Israel wandered and they perished. These people who wandered will be reserved to the blackness of darkness forever. That's hell, folks. That's a scary thing. Now, raging waves. Now, isn't there another verse in James again that says, and uh, when you believe, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the um, waves of the sea tossed to and fro. Let not that man think that he'll receive anything. It talks about winds of doctrine taking you off course, getting you out of your boundaries. It talks about the waves of the sea that cause you to not be able to operate in faith. It talks about these winds that get you into false doctrine and wandering. And there is a wandering and it's a very frightening thing. And maybe that's why when it talks about the waves of the sea and their wandering, and when it talks about the winds of doctrine getting lost course, that we go just a few verses down. This is all in Jude. And then we come back to Jude, and it says, but stay in the love of God where your boundaries, where the love of God can bless your life. See, first of all, he's talking about these really messed up folks that are... That, twice dead, that are reserved for blackness and darkness. They're wanderers, and they get tossed with the sea. They get blown with the winds. And then he says, but you, brothers, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. 
that you, let me just read it. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it again because I, I can't remember if I'm saying it exactly right. But, but, look, but look how it says this. It says, And stay always within the boundaries where the love of God can reach and bless you. Stay in that boundary. Stay in that place where God has for you. Because let me tell you, most people today that I know of are wanderers spiritually. They don't have any more idea what God has for their life. And look, and then we can see in verse 18, and how that they told that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own lusts. These be those who separate themselves. Separate having not the Spirit. What do they separate from? They separate themselves from the other believers. And what does it say about those who separate themselves in Proverbs 18? It talks about those who separate themselves. But in Proverbs 18, it talks about that. And look what it says about those who separate themselves. It says here in Proverbs 18.1, it says, Through desire a man having separated himself seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's look at some of the translations more understandable. A A recluse seeks his own selfish interests. He quarrels with every sound principle. He who is estranged seeks pretexts to break out against all sound judgment. People who separate, you know, the recluse, the person who's, who is, we, we, we call them, what, what's the word? They're, they're real um, eccentric. And they kind of stay in this place. And it says, the fool, and it says, and hath no delight. A fool has no delight in understanding, but that his heart may be discover itself. Here's another translation. The fool takes no delight in understanding, but rather in displaying what he thinks. Those are the type of people that separate themselves. They're foolish. They're full of pride. They aren't going to learn from anybody else. They're going to always have their say, and they want everybody to hear, and they want to hear themselves talking about what they think. I've seen people that like listening to themselves. I've seen people who like hearing themselves talk. I've seen that before. It's a sad situation because before long they start deceiving themselves because they won't take any type of correction and they leave and they wander. They separate themselves. They go out and they do these things and they become destroyed because they won't hear. You know, they, as it says, the proverb says that they don't want, they separate themselves and they don't want to intermingle with anybody else's wisdom, just their own, and they just want to hear their own. Matthew 10, 14, and 15 says, people who won't hear the preachers in Matthew 10, 14, and 15 that are sent to them. It says it'll be worse for, Sodom, for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. Matthew talks about that. It's a frightening thought. It's very frightening to think about. I'll just read it to you. 14, 15 says, and whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words. Everybody say, hear your words. See, the recluse, the person who separates himself doesn't want anybody else's words. That's why they separate themselves from everybody. They don't want to be taught. They don't want to be corrected. They, don't want, they, they think they know more than everybody else. And whoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. People that don't want to hear what God... People that don't want to go where God says. People that want to run off like Jonah. They're headed for tremendous destruction. But if you receive the man of God, the Bible says, he who receives you receives me. He says, and they that receive me, this is Jesus speaking, receive the Father who sent me. And so, it's so important that a person stays put. It says, in Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, it says, many shall... It says, in the latter days, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter days, many shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. If you look that up in the Greek, Rick Renner's book on seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, in his book, Rick Renner is a Greek scholar. He talks about what this word means. This word means many will depart from the faith. It means to depart and begin to wander in life. It says many, there there will be those, the Spirit speaks expressly in the latter days, there'll be those who will depart and wander in their life. I mean, there's even a guy that that sang a song, I'm a wanderer. Anybody remember that song? (laughs) Dude, I would not be broadcasting that to anybody. If you knew anything spiritual, if you had a half a brain for what the Scripture says... 
I'm a wanderer. Yeah, go join the carnival. Let me tell you something. There are people that are wandering because they've departed from the faith and wandered because of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Things that make you restless, things that make you want to look and think it's a lot greener on the other side of the fence. How many of your life is not greener on the other side of the fence? Most people think your grass is greener. Literally, that's funny because it happened to my neighbor and my, myself. He, I got this neighbor. He is the most meticulous guy I've ever seen. He mows his yard like almost daily. I mean, this guy just likes yard work, I think. He picks up every leaf. He clips every, you know, out of place grass. He pulls every weed. He, he mows it all the time. I mean, he, I think he, enjoy, he mows it for enjoyment. I mean, I keep my yard nice, but I don't do it for enjoyment. I mean, I kind of enjoy it, but anyway. <laughs> and he came over to me and says, yeah. I said, your yard, yard looks nice. He goes, yeah. He says, I'm just trying to keep up with you. <laughs> I said, what? I says, I'm trying to keep up with you. I thought the grass was greener on the other side. How many of you know the grass is never greener on the other side? But anything that makes you restless. You want to be a wanderer spiritually from your job, from your spouse, from your family, from just your, oh, this ho-hum life that we live around here, from your church, from your friends, from those things that are anchors, that, that boundaries where the Lord can bless you. No, that's a seducing spirit and doctrine of demon most of the time. Now, God does move people. I understand all that. But we act like it's the rule. It is the very much. As a matter of fact, you can't even find one place in Scripture where somebody did that. Had it transferred from one church to another. You can't even find it. It's not even mentioned. But it does talk about people leaving the boundary of their blessing. You can't, you can't give me a Scripture where, you know, Paul left one church to go to another because he was a traveling minister. But left it, you know, or one person left their church and was sent to another or they felt God told them to go from one church to another. You can't even find that scripture. Now, I know it happens and I know God does that. I understand that. But it isn't even spoken of in scripture. You'd think it was a regular, everyday, normal, you know, the mainline occurrence in Christianity today in America. It's not. It's so not the rule. It's not even mentioned. Can I get an amen, somebody? Now, God does move people. God does move people in the church. I, I understand that. I'm not saying that he doesn't. But I'm saying, we think it's just like normative. I don't, you know, I don't like the carpet in that church. Let's, go to, let's try another one. Bleh, this one's down. Let's try another one. Bleh, let's go to this one. Let's go to that one. Now, I'm not saying that if, people got, if you've checked out some other things at the church, I'm not saying that, that that's necessarily wrong. But what I am saying is there's some people who have never stayed in the church more than like one or two years in their life. I tried to find the statistics on how often people leave churches, but I couldn't find it. Kind of like the Bible. <clears throat> and I got all these other statistics. How long does somebody stay at their job? How long does a pastor stay in a church? How long do people stay married? How long? You know, I, I was looking at tons of statistics, and I always like to study statistics. But I couldn't find any on that. But it says they'll depart and wander. The devil wants us to wander. See, in the Old Testament, you got this great, big, huge thing that was written for admonition about the children of Israel disobeying God and wandering. And then you got this little, that's the macro level. You got this little micro level where it says many saints will depart from the church and they will depart from the gospel and they'll wander. See, that's a bad place to be. But we don't have to have that. I believe this, that God wants us to be planted. They that be planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. Everybody say planted. planted. Being planted is so important. Being planted. Staying within the boundaries where the love of God can bless you. Amen. Corinthians talks, we all have an ordained sphere. and I, Just because of a lack of time, I, I don't want to, you know, go there, but I believe this. Paul Yogi Cho one time told a story about how there was a man we met on a plane. I've told this story before. And he shared the gospel with him. You know, he's got the biggest church in the world. You know, all the churches, all the campuses, all the locations together are well over a million 10, 15 years ago. So I don't know what they are now, but it's gigantic. It's in Seoul, Korea. He worked on this guy the whole trip 
on the airplane trying to get him saved. And he says, you know, he says, Mr. Cho, you're, you know, you're, you're a smart man. You're obviously successful. And he says, but I just don't get it. He said, I, I, don't, I don't buy what you're saying. And he said to him, you come to Seoul, Korea, where Prayer Mountain has its influence. How I many you know in Seoul, Korea, there's a place called Prayer Mountain, and thousands and thousands of Christians are praying 24-7. He said, you come to Korea, and let me talk to you there. Well, time went by, and the, the guy actually had a business trip where he came to Seoul, Korea, and he met with him. He showed him the church. He showed him everything. He prayed for it, and he shared the gospel with him again. He says, that makes perfect sense. It's kind of like, go to your house, a bunch of demons interfering. We can't, we can't even think straight at your house. Come to my house where there's peace, uh, and you'll get it right away. See, his sphere was blessed, and he could operate in his sphere where he had set up that church, where he had set up that prayer mountain, where he had that influence, where he could come. And, and when he went into his world and went outside his sphere, he couldn't get that guy saved to save his soul. But when that guy came into his sphere of blessing, his sphere of influence, into his world where the love of God could bless him, his boundaries, the guy got it immediately, got born again. Let me tell you something. There is something very supernatural about where you're called to. And I believe this. God, when we pray in the Holy Ghost, Brother Hagin said, when he prayed in the Holy Ghost is when he got the picture of where he was supposed to be, what he was supposed to do, and what it was all going to look like. Let me encourage you tonight. Pray and build up yourself in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, and God will start showing you your boundaries and what you're called to do, and where you're called to do it. And God will begin to reveal to you your Nineveh, and not your Tarshish. Because you know what? When chapter 3 of Jonah, chapter 3, 1 through 5, Jonah got spit out of the whale. He finally repented. He got spit out of the whale. He came back, and God says, Oh, I got newsflash for you. Go to Nineveh. Total success. Everybody got saved, the king and all the people, and they all repented in sackcloth and ashes and fasted, and everybody got saved, and it was easy. He went and he preached, and they worshipped a fish god, and he got spit out of the face of a fish, and so they thought he was a god probably, but they thought at least he must be pretty important. And he went and he preached there, and everybody got saved. How many would say that's having uh, you know, some real effectiveness when you're in the right sphere? But you know, nobody's getting saved over there you know, when he was on his way to Tarshish, he, he was getting swallowed up by a fish and in the belly of a whale. How many of you know that's not a fun place to be? It says that he, repent, he despaired of life and even died and went to hell and came back. Let's stand up. Amen. How many of you want to find your place? Let's get into our, let's not go outside our boundaries. Let's not leave our place. Let's not go out where we're being seduced, where we're being tempted, where we feel like, oh gosh, I just feel, I, I feel like, I just feel antsy. I want to. I want to go someplace else. I want to try something new. I want to, well, that doesn't work. Let's pray.